the word that the Lord had us to share there, and I feel led right now to share it with you before I get to this, is uh, from um, out of Ezra. I think it was the third chapter, uh, the eighth verse. You can look that up. Ezra, the third chapter. I think it's verses 8 through 13. As they were laying the foundation, uh, 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 relaying the foundation for the temple rebuild, about to build again, laying a new foundation, preparing for something new that God was getting ready to do. Um, and this was a sec, this was a, they kind of took a praise break to worship God because all this, as far as they had made it uh, at this point, was just the laying of the foundation for the, for the new temple. And so they stopped to praise and to worship God. Is that right? Ezra, the third chapter, verses 8 through 13. I'm going to have my wife to come here. You can come up here and read that. We're a tag team today. <laughs> now, in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the rest of their brethren, and the priests, and the Levites, and all those who had come out of captivity to Jerusalem, began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Then Jeshua with his sons and brothers, Cadmiel with his sons and the sons of Judah, arose as one to oversee those working on the house of God the sons of Hinnadad, with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people, for the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. Bless the Lord. And I believe that we're in that season where there is a dual sound coming up out of the house of the Lord. There are those of us who remember the glory of the first temple. We have been a part of revival in this nation. We have seen God do mighty things. But just like what happened with the people of God, uh, you know, uh, in between that, we've, you're talking about the Babylonians coming in and, and the, you know, wiping out of the temple, destroying Jerusalem, and then them going back through the process after 70 years, just like the Lord had told them through Jeremiah. Then 70 years later, here they are, and they're in the rebuilding process. And I believe that that's exactly what has happened in America. Uh, we've had some powerful moves to happen in this nation, but we got away. Yep. This isn't about just what America has responded, how it uh, has responded over these last 30, 40 years. This is about the church. America has been overrun because we as God's people, we became very lackadaisical, started taking things for granted, started preaching another gospel, yep. started putting the emphasis on ourselves we got away from the gate from the Great Commission. Remember when that was all that it was about? Yep. It was all about winning souls and discipling souls. But somehow the message started turning into my personal prosperity. <laughs> yep. And we got away from that. And, um, and just like what happened with Israel, um, you know, the Babylonians came in. They were overthrown by Nebuchadnezzar. And our best and brightest were carried off into Babylon. And think about what has happened to our young people. Our best and brightest. You know, you know when we tell the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are refugees of war. And even though they took a stand in Babylon and would not bow to Nebuchadnezzar, 
the truth of the matter is that, and they had that tremendous miracle. God delivered them. They didn't, you know, he threw them into the furnace. They did not burn. Their, their ropes burned off. Isn't that amazing? Ropes burned off, but they didn't, nothing touched them. And then when they came out, they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. That's an amazing, powerful miracle. But still understand, after that miracle, they went right back to work. <laughs> they were not released from Nebuchadnezzar. They were not released from Babylon. God spoke something to Nebuchadnezzar. And in fact, later on in the story, Nebuchadnezzar is, eat, is eating grass and out of his mind because he exalted himself in such a way, even in his own understanding, he thought he was God, to be worshipped as God. And I'm seeing a repeat of that. Well, we have leaders, people who are in power from the White House to various uh, uh, governor's mansions across this country who have reached a point where they are defiant of God and we're going to do whatever we want to do. And some people are going to be eating grass before this is over. <laughs> I just want you to know there's going to be some folks eating grass. What do you mean, Pastor Chris? I mean, they're going to find out who is God. But, what, but all while that is going on, there's something that God is doing within his own people. And there is, a re, there is now a restore. Uh, uh, we're in a process of laying a foundation for a restoration, a renewing, uh, a rebuilding, if you'll let me put it that way in, under prophetic terms. There's a rebuilding that's taking place. But while we're in this stage, we're getting these two sounds coming up in our praise and our worship. And that's the sound of weeping for those who remember what it used to be how it used to be, as well as the shouting of joy that, thank God, we're returning. <laughs> we're rebuilding, they are restoring, it's coming back. And when you read in Haggai, uh, when the temple was actually finished, by the time Haggai the prophet was on the scene, he actually uh, uh, wrote and said, uh, as the Lord gave it to him, that, that the glory of this latter, of this latter temple is going to be greater than the former. So again, you can nudge somebody and say, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> I know that's not good English, but you <laughs> we haven't seen anything yet in this country. And I believe that's why he's speaking to us and showing you feels full of people and uh, showing you, uh, Brother Gene, and giving, uh, giving me the dreams of God's people being relentless and pulling down the strongholds and souls coming into the kingdom because that is very much what God, I, won't, I, I can't even say going to do. Uh, I have such a sense of the eternal right now. And when I say eternal, I mean things that are not connected to time because from God's standpoint, he's not going to do it. He's already, you know, it's done as far as his, it's done as far as God is concerned. It's just that we have to live with the seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months to see it manifested, see what manifest what God has already done. Thank you, Lord. In fact, I believe the reason why he shows it to us, God shows us these things because from the eternal standpoint, it's done. From the eternal, it's not going to it's done. He's just giving us a picture of what's already done. Thank you, Lord. Come on, thank him right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That's why we can be so full of faith because he wouldn't show it to us unless it was already done. My Lord. Thank you, Lord. That's what builds our faith. That's what faith is. We see what God has already done. Bless the Lord. He's pastor's ready to go today. Thank you, Lord. I want to thank you once again for this opportunity just to share and to and to speak. We, Carol and I, we consider this such an awesome privilege. I want to say, um, uh, on behalf of my mother in love and our youngest, I can't, John is not the youngest. Our middle son, John, our oldest and our youngest. In fact, our oldest son lives in Oklahoma. And he was telling us last night about the earthquake. Some of you heard about the earthquake they had out there in the middle of the country. And he lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they felt it. <laughs> well, he said it woke them up out of their sleep, him and his wife. And they're fine. Everything's fine. But it was a pretty strong earthquake, they said. Uh, it was felt in six states. Yep. Uh, Oklahoma, Texas, what's around there? Arkansas, Missouri, which is where we're from. Uh, Iowa and Kansas 
It was felt in six states. And before that, and some of you may recall earlier in the week, uh, uh, they had an earthquake, devastating earthquake in Italy. And so we are living exactly what the Bible said, earthquakes in diverse places. If there was ever a time to make up your mind that you're going to live for God, this is the time. I'm going all out <laughs> for him. And we're, we're literally watching what he said would be. We're watching it happen in our lifetime. And I want you guys just to um, continue to pray for us. We're expecting our first grandchild any, any, uh, any week, any day now. Our youngest son and his wife who live in Canada, uh, they are... We're counting the days. The baby uh, is due somewhere around my birthday, which is next week. And so hopefully it'll fall right on that day, right? <laughs> but we're really grateful and thankful for that. We need your, we need your prayers. We're really in the midst of spiritual warfare uh, in the city. Just want to give you that report because God's already shown us that we've won. That's why I know the Lord gave me that dream. Uh, but we're, we have really had to learn how to work under the radar and to work in stealth in the city of Harrisburg. One of the things the Lord taught us or has taught us um, through these years is that an awful lot of ministries have come to the Harrisburg area and they'll start trying to advertise and let people know, you know, because you know how church, you know, you're supposed to gather people and all of that. And we found out that strategy does not work in certain cities and certain areas, then we have had to learn how to operate under the radar in stealth mode. Uh, just like any, if, a, if God called a missionary to go into an Islamic country, they would have to operate under the radar in stealth mode. And it's just that we don't think that we have to do that in America, but we do now. And some certain areas like Harrisburg, you absolutely have to operate under the radar. Um, I, I don't want to give these people more credit that they're due, that not that they're due any, but, they're, uh, but various groups like the Masonic Order, Eastern Star, Witches and Warlocks, they have serious strongholds in Harrisburg. They are everywhere. They're in government, they're in education, they're in business. And, uh, and so you can be disclosing the uh, strategy of the Lord to someone uh, who is actively opposed against the work of God in a city. And so it, it's, it's really taught us how to not be afraid of the enemy. I'm not giving this as a fear report, but as a strategic wisdom report uh, for God's people that, that, are, that he has called to places like Harrisburg. I wouldn't be surprised if every state capital in this country is like that. That, that the enemy has intentionally set up certain areas where he is entrenched in those areas because that's a seat of power. And many state capitals are small as far as uh, population, but they are powerful as far as influence over an entire city, over an entire region, over an entire state. And Harrisburg is one of those places. We, I grossly underestimated the assignment right. <laughs> that God has given us because I thought like many people did. I did all of my research and found out, you know, Dauphin County is 250,000 people. And if you include the West Shore, it's 500,000 people. And that's, you know, I come from a place that's five times bigger than that. So I underestimated it. You know, I'm going into Dauphin County, 250,000. I come from St. Louis, where it's two and a half million. So I underestimated what's really happening here. I, I didn't realize that Harrisburg uh, is the capital of the state where the United States of America was birthed and founded. And so it's not Washington, D.C. that is really the key to America. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Many of you know the story of William Penn and how God mightily used him. And so the state, the capital of the state, not just the founding fathers, but if you're going to call, if we're going, if we're going to call uh, 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 the men that we normally call the founding fathers, we'd have to at least call William Penn their grandfather. 
at the very least because they took his writings and the things that were in his heart and used that as part of the forming of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence. Wow. And I got a chance to hold the books that our founding fathers used when they were writing those documents. I worked for the state for nine years in the, in the uh, press office, the media office for the Department of Education. So with that position, I had the privilege of going to the state library and down into the vault where they hold these, where these books are and to actually touch them, hold them, pick them up very carefully. I didn't want to be the one person that drops it, right? <laughs> Oops! <laughs> Very carefully. And I just, but it's amazing the sense of awe that comes upon you when you realize what God has done. I'm thinking, I'm just some little ghetto kid from St. Louis, Missouri. And here I am holding the documents, the books that the founding fathers were thumbing through and reading through and researching as they were writing the Constitution. And they'd search through these books and read and take notes. And I'm like, oh my God, where have you sent us? <laughs> and through the years, we thought that it was about us establishing a local church and even though that was part of it God had something else in mind much greater and I want you to know that even though you're not physically situated in Harrisburg just because you're in this region you have a key role in the deliverance of this entire nation that's why God is showing you fields with people that's why and I know it's been tough I know it's been very difficult your warfare your battle but the Lord sent me here today just to encourage you with this scripture it comes out of it's a very familiar passage of scripture second Corinthians the fourth chapter second Corinthians 4 you are very familiar with this passage of scripture, and we're going to read verses 7 through 10, I believe. Thank you, Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, then let's start with verse 7. It says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Sounds familiar? That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Lord, I thank you for your people and for the assignment that you have given us here in this region, in this part of the country. We are honored, Lord. You chose us. And so, Lord God, I thank you that this word will find good soil in every heart. We reject the thoughts of offense with the Light of your word exposes our sin. Lord, we don't take offense. We just simply say we'll change and repent and turn to you. We reject condemnation. Your word says that Jesus didn't come to condemn people. So this word didn't, doesn't come to condemn us, but it comes to heal us. And we reject accusation because Satan is the accuser of brothers and sisters. And this word doesn't come to accuse us or abuse us. This word is simply exposing Satan and his lies <laughs> and we choose to believe and receive the truth Lord you said blessed are our eyes and our ears for, uh, from, you said blessed are our eyes for what they see and our ears for they hear because many prophets and righteous men desire to see what we see and they didn't see it and to hear what we hear and they did not hear it and so Lord we hide your word in our heart 
that we might not sin against or miss your will. Open our eyes, Lord God, that we may see wondrous things from your word today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I want to talk with you today about the excellence of the power. The excellence of the power. And uh, we live in a world where many people seek just the opposite, and that's the power of excellence. In fact, that's the way you start a church or start a business or, or whatever it is that you're seeking to do and accomplish in this life. Um, and there's nothing wrong with necessarily the power of excellence. When I say the power of excellence, another word to use would be the influence of excellence, affluence of excellence. Benefits can come by way of excellence. Um, for instance, uh, the Olympics are now past, but there were several uh, believers who were athletes, and because of their excellence, it gave them the platform, it gave them the power, the opportunity to be able to share their faith. Their excellence in their performance gave them power, a platform, influence to be able to share about Jesus. So there's nothing wrong with the power of excellence. The opportunities, the things that can come our way as a result of our simple skill and ability and and what we can do, what we can accomplish. But Paul did not talk about the power of excellence. He, he used the phrase, the excellency or the excellence of the power. Just the opposite. I love it when Paul would turn a phrase, turn a phrase around and say things a little bit differently than how we're accustomed to hearing it. And let's take a look at what the excellence of the power looks like. Starting at that verse again, at verse 7 said, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Um, first of all, he talks about that we have this treasure within us and it's revealed, I believe it's revealed through the adversity that he lists there. There's a treasure that's within us. <laughs> and he says, and that treasure is there that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. There are certain types of pressure or adversity that comes against us, and we must realize that there's something about God, not about us. That's the first thing to understand about the excellence of the power, that something's going to be revealed about God. <laughs> and we all feel that pressure to have about the power of excellence because, you know, I, I, both in St. Louis and then we moved here to Harrisburg, there's certain things about excellence that just draws people to you. In other words, you know, uh, I've always, in all of my years in ministry, there was always somebody saying, we have to do things in excellence. Why? Because you only get one time to make a first impression. So we all think in terms of doing things in excellence and making a good impression, especially when it's the first impression. But here is Paul talking about the opposite, the excellence of the power of God being revealed in adversity. Now, how many of you know that when you're in the midst of adversity, things don't look so good on the outside? I can't make a good first impression because things aren't going well. I remember when I first met my mother in love, I was sick. I was traveling with a group from Oral Roberts University, a, a ministry team, and I played drums. And I got sick on that particular trip. And I had been looking forward to the, our, our tour was going to bring us to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, so that my, my girl could introduce me to her mother. Let's just say I didn't make a good first impression. <laughs> I had the flu. I was sick. I was like, you know, you know, Chris, this is my mom. <laughs> and she gave me a look like I did not make a good first impression. <laughs> and I said all that to say, not to put my mom on the spot, but to say, making a good first impression is important. The power of excellence. But when you're in the midst of adversity, you're not necessarily going to make a good first impression. And then comes the real struggle for all of us as believers, and that is when you're going through a hard time, 
And now you must rely upon the excellency of the power and not your power to keep making everything look like it's okay on the outside. First of all, he said we are hard-pressed. This is what adversity looks like, hard-pressed. That word means to be troubled, to be compressed, to be afflicted. And he says, but at the same time, we're not crushed. So what does the excellence of the power look like? It looks like you're somebody who's hard-pressed. <laughs> somebody who's troubled. And as much as you may even try real hard to not make it look that way, you just do. You're not looking so hot right now. One thing I've learned as a, as a believer through all of my years of my life was when I'm looking at someone to not make a judgment based upon the snapshot or the photo. You know, you can take a picture of someone in this particular moment in time, but that picture does not represent, does not accurately represent this person's story. It's just catching and capturing a second in a moment in time. But if, the, if you really wanted to know their story, you would have to get a DVD of their life and play the whole story, not just capture the moment. And many times when, when we are hard pressed, people are just getting a snapshot. You're just catching one second. You know how it is, you're smiling, you're trying to feel, but every once in a while that pain hits and in that one second of pain, you go, you just go, oh, and somebody takes a picture right then. It was just the pain I felt in that moment. That's not how I always am. <laughs> I feel like going back in time and saying to my mom, that's not who I really am. No. <laughs> Here's the next one. He said the excellence of the power looks like this. It means we can be perplexed, but not in despair. The word perplexed, check out this definition, guys. It means you can be in dire straits. It means you can be embarrassed. Anybody been in an embarrassing situation? Those are the toughest times to walk through in God, when it's embarrassing. When it's embarrassing. What do I mean by embarrassing? I mean like when bills are behind, facing foreclosure, yeah, facing bankruptcy, facing divorce, separation when kids are living nothing like what you taught them. Embarrassing. That's what it means to be perplexed. And the excellence of the power of God is revealed in us when we can walk through situations that are embarrassing. You can't explain it. Those are the toughest ones, aren't they? You can't explain. Even if you try to explain it, you would just sound like you're making excuses. You sound like you don't have any faith. But it's not, that's not it at all. It's just that I can't explain this, and it's embarrassing to talk about it. It means that you can be in doubt. Here's, here's one that's really very close to home. It can mean you can be in a situation where you just don't know what to do. Wow. And unfortunately, because of some of the imbalance of the teaching that has come forth in America the last 30 or 40 years, there have been believers that they have been right here in an embarrassing situation where they're in doubt about what to do or they don't know what to do. And somebody told them that they don't have any faith because they're in that situation. But when you read the Bible, Paul says, we are perplexed. Now, where does the faith come in? Faith says, but I'm not in despair. Despair means, here's what it means if you're in despair. It means you're utterly at a loss. It means that you're destitute and you have no means or um, way of getting any resources. That's destitute. That's despair. So he says, you can be, here's what it means to have the excellence of the power in our life. That even though you're in a situation where it's dire straits, embarrassing, and you don't know what to do, you are never at a point where you have no resource. Why? Because God is my source. 
He is my source. Thank you, Lord. Anybody need to hear that today? <laughs> and then the final one, he says, this is what the excellence of the power looks like. He says it means that you can be persecuted but not forsaken. Persecuted basically means, I know it sounds self-explanatory, but I got to give you these definitions. It means to be pursued or to be harassed. And don't you know that when you feel pursued and harassed, it's almost automatic. You automatically feel like you're all alone. You automatically, here's another word for it. It means to be bullied. Don't you know that kids who feel bullied feel like they have no friends? Nobody likes me. Even for the, one, even for the ones who do have a, a, a person or two who reaches out to them because of the bullying, they can't even see it. When the person who I want to be in their group, if those people don't like me, then they feel like nobody likes me. And they don't even pay attention to the people who do like them. Do you know that we, even as believers, we don't think of ourselves as being teenagers or children, but we're very much the same. We're very much the same. There are certain groups or connections or people that we would like to be in with them. And if they reject us and put us out, then it feels like all of the whole body of Christ is against me. <laughs> no, it's just that group. And you grow up and you learn just like you do as a, as a teenager. You grow up and you find out that just because you can't be in that group doesn't mean that there isn't a group that's for you, that God has for you. They don't know that when they get out of high school, none of that stuff will even matter. But you know, when you're 15 and 16, it's your whole world. One of those things, anybody would like to go back and tell, talk to your 12, 13, 14, 15 year old self and say, it won't matter. <laughs> But he says we can be persecuted, but not forsaken. We are not abandoned. We are not deserted. We are not left helpless. Thank you, Lord God. That's what it looks like to have the excellence of the power coming forth in our life. And here's the final one. The excellence of the power looks like this. You can be struck down, but not destroyed. Now, this has got to be one of those things that's very baffling for the enemy. Because just think, if you had a clay pot, or a glass, you know, a really nice piece of porcelain, a statuette, a figurine, and you took it outside on that parking lot and you threw it down as hard as you could and it bounces. <laughs> That's what this scripture means. You're struck down, but you're not destroyed and, it's, and the enemy can't figure this out because you're so fragile. You look so fragile on the outside and he threw it down with full intentions of shattering you. But instead of shattering, you and I bounce. <laughs> now, we can be caught up on the fact that we were thrown down. Our focus would be so much on the fact that we were thrown down that we forgot. We aren't paying attention to the fact that we're bouncing. <laughs> we're crying out to God. Why did you let this happen to me? Why? You know, with each bounce. Why did you let this happen to me? Bounce. Buddy, why is this happening? And you still haven't paid attention to the fact that you're bouncing, you're not breaking. Why? Because the excellence of the power within me keeps me from falling apart. And though I'm in this situation and in the circumstance, what the enemy's intent is not happening come on praise God right now thank you Lord it's not happening so God's people who are empowered we can be hard-pressed on every side this is what the excellence of the power looks like it doesn't look like you've got it all together in fact it looks like you don't have anything together because we're hard-pressed we're perplexed we're persecuted we're struck down but the emphasis for us today is to understand that you're not crushed. I'm not in despair. I'm not forsaken. And I'm not destroyed. Can anybody say thank you, Lord? Thank you, Jesus. Then Paul 
goes on to say that we're always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Now, the dying, when he says this, it literally is talking about the, the process that Jesus was going through in service to his father. The dying that Jesus was going through while he was serving his father. He says we carry that within us. It's the dying we go through as we surrender. Don't you love that word? Surrender <laughs> all to Jesus. I surrender all to him. I freely give. Yeah, that's the dying of the Lord Jesus. I keep surrendering my heart and my, here's that here's the really tough one, my will. <laughs> my will always caring about in the body while I'm going through these situations these circumstances while I'm while even though I'm I'm hard pressed even though I'm perplexed even though I can be persecuted even though I can be struck down I keep surrendering yes Lord my will to God not to the enemy I'm on devil do whatever you want no no surrender <laughs> to God in the midst of it. Lord, I don't understand it, but I choose to trust you. That dying meant letting go of anything and anyone that would hinder my relationship with God and his purpose for my life. Let me say that again. This dying means letting go of anything and anyone that's going to hinder the relationship with God and his purpose for my life. And a side note, family and friends may not necessarily want to follow God right now. <laughs> but Jesus said we follow him. We go after him even when those closest to us don't see it, don't believe it. It's not that you and I don't love them. The Lord kind of gave me this phrase. He said, it's not that you don't love them. It's just that you love me more. <laughs> Why? Because I want them saved. I want them to spend eternity with our father, with me. I want them with me. But they have to learn what it, by watching us, what it's like to have the excellence of the power come through us because they're caught up on the other side. They're spending their entire life trying to gain the power of excellence. Yes. And God will use us in these, in these situations of being hard pressed and perplexed and persecuted and struck down to reveal, to reveal who he is through our life. Through our lives, they learn who he is. Everybody can you know, rejoice and use young people's terms. You know, everything's cool. Everything's fine when, when everything's going great. But when they see us going through and we're holding on and we're believing God and we keep moving in spite of being hard pressed. Because you know where the world goes when they're hard pressed. <laughs> when they're hard pressed, they're going down to the corner store of the bar. <laughs> Or they're going to that crack house around the corner. Or they're going to start an illicit affair relationship with someone because that's their response to being hard-pressed hard and perplexed and persecuted and struck down. But the excellence of the power of God that causes us to continue to, I'm still going to work, I'm still being faithful to my wife and kids, I'm still... See, they can see the difference. They know the difference. And they just may watch you for a long time. We have that for my wife and I when we work for the state, people just watching us every day. You know, because it's one thing for a minister or a preacher to say, you know, you've got a great marriage and, and things are cool between me and my wife because they, only, they would only see us once a week, maybe twice at church in a building 
But God will give you a testimony like he did with us and make us go to work every day. We both worked in the same building. I was on the 10th floor. She was on the 16th floor. So when people are watching you come to work every day, you can pretend all you want on Sundays, but every day, <laughs> that's a different story. We're going to watch this couple come to work every day. Every day we'd have lunch together. Every day we're coming in together. And so, you know, when, you, when it's the work-a-day world, it's not like a church where, where a couple can be in a friendly fire on the way to church, driving, and there's friendly fire. <laughs> <laughs> and then as soon as you walk in the door we're together how you doing bless you brother sister hi everything's going great so you can do that on sundays or wednesday nights but every day i think you could only keep that facade up for but for so long if it's not real, if you don't have the excellence of the power of God working through your life, you can't keep up the facade very long every day. Eventually, it would be, I'm dropping Carol off. Get out the car and let her go in first, and I'll go park the car, and I'll come in later. <laughs> or walking in together and just get on the elevator. I stand on my side of the elevator. She stands on her side of the elevator. I get off the elevator. Mm. <laughs> Eventually, what's really there will come out. I'm not saying this, obviously, to pump us up, but I'm just giving you the example of this is what it means to have the life of Jesus manifested. In fact, Paul concludes that statement by actually saying that, that the life of Christ may be manifested in our body. This means that the fullness of the life of Jesus would come through. Isn't it amazing how for us, as God's people, it's not the good times that brings this out. It's adversity. And our family and friends and coworkers and classmates watching us and observing us in adversity Another definition of that life means the real and the genuine. No hypocrisy. So that the real life, not religion, because people got that envy, have been on jobs where there's some real religious people on that job, working at that place or at that school. They just kind of mess it up for everybody. They almost, I won't say it all the way, they almost make you not want to use the phrase, tell anybody that you're a, that you're a believer. Because they're so religious. And by this, I mean they talk about biblical stuff, but they don't live any of it. And when adversity hits, they're behaving just like everybody else. When they are perplexed, when they are persecuted, when they are struck down. All we get is the grumbling and the complaining and every once in a while a few words slip out their mouths. And you're ready to just kind of duck and like, okay, I'm not one of them. I'm, 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 not, <laughs> I'm not one of those. That's not what Christ is about. That's not what the real life is about. But Paul says when we've reached this point where, where we've been living, where there's, there's this dying taking place, this constant surrender and being able to understand and live in this way where we're not crushed, we're not in despair, we're not forsaken, we're not destroyed because the excellence of his power is coming through my life. And now the full life of Jesus, the real, the genuine life. And here's the last one for that life of Christ. It meant the active, vigorous, and devoted life. You reach a place where you're just wholly devoted. You understand, you and I understand that what I'm, what's portrayed on the outside must absolutely be the same that's within. 
one of the words for purity that's used in the Bible is the word an unalloyed. An alloy is a mixture of metals. But to be unalloyed means it's pure. There's no mixture in it at all. Anybody just, just say that with me. Lord, I want to be like that. Yeah. Pure gold. Pure gold. I had an a, uh, elder in our church back in St. Louis. He used to work at one of the, uh, uh, the steel mills in St. Louis. I don't know what particular metal that he was working on, but he talked about how they would melt it down and take it through its purification process. He said the first big, huge vat was really hot, melted down, and he said, and then uh, uh, all of the dross and stuff would float, come to the top. And he said they had people that their whole job was to skim that stuff off the top. Then he said they would take what was left, uh, the melted uh, metal that was left, and pour it into a vat that was even hotter than the first. And again, more dross would come to the top, and they'd skim that off. Then he said there was a third one. Then they put it in a vat that it was hotter than the first two. And he said, and the dross that would come to the top was like, he said it was like it with, um, with milk. You know, if you leave milk sitting on it, has a little thin layer, just a little thin layer that they would skim off of the top, and they knew then we've got something pure. Ever wondered why? The writers would say things like, think it not a strange thing, this fiery, fiery trial. <laughs> that God is allowing it to what? Get that dross. The stuff that we don't even know it's there. In fact, I think the first, the first heat is the stuff that we do know. I know. I know I've got the bad habit of this and I keep slipping back into that. So God allows the fiery trial to be in the vat so that I can, that comes to the top, skim that off. Then there's a second layer and there are things that I didn't know. I didn't even know that about myself. And then the third layer is the toughest one. And that is the true motivations of my heart. <laughs> Why I do what I do. We were talking uh, uh, while we were in St. Louis, and uh, that became part of our conversation of God allowing us, getting us to a place. Because back in my home church, the last eight to ten years have really been very, very hard. Not just our church, but even my own family. When we first moved here to Harrisburg, my mom and dad lost their home in a fire. When Carol and I were had hands laid up on us and we were sent to Harrisburg, the brother who took my place and became the associate pastor of the church, he died. Whew. Following that, a couple of other friends, pastors, leaders, people that we knew from around the country, they weren't necessarily members of their church, but they were people who had laid hands on me and Carol and been a part of our prophetic process. One was a pastor from Virginia. Uh, two of them were from Virginia. One was even my pastor's pastor. Before we came here, he told us, gave us wonderful word about coming to Harrisburg. Uh, uh, our pastor's pastor is a Puerto Rican uh, uh, gentleman. And he said, I've got people in the Harrisburg area, so I'm so follow my advice. He said, when you get there, you're going to have to make it a journey that you're all on together. He said, don't come in like a big know-it-all and all of that. Be very humble, and that's the way you're going to win people in Harrisburg. He passed away. Uh, then a couple of young men who were once part of our youth ministry, when we were youth pastors, they passed away. <laughs> every, it got to the point that every time the phone rang, and our area code in Missouri is 314, every time I saw 314 on my phone, I didn't want to answer the phone. A couple of those calls came while I was at work, working for the Department of Education. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you just get to the point where I don't want to answer the phone. Especially when, when you know in your spirit it's going to be bad news. Anybody ever done that? 
phone rings and because this is an unusual time of day, nobody ever calls me at this time of day or night and you just know, your heart just sinks. And so we were going through all of that and more. I can't even get into all of the things that have happened. My, my brother, one of my younger, my younger brother had a heart attack and my older brother had a heart attack. My mom had a mini stroke. Just one thing after another, and that's just my family. They don't even count all the other families and things that people were going through. Just been a horrendous time the last eight to 10 years. So that's why while we were ministering uh, over this past week and asked to come back, now you can understand the significance of the Lord giving us that word about the weeping going on at the same time of the rejoicing. And it's been a really hard time that we've been living through and going through for a long time. And so I, sh I share all of that to say this. Um, for where we are now, God has used all of these trials, all of these fiery trials to get us to this point where that last little skimming can be taken off the top. So now he can send souls and he knows none of us cares about being rich and famous and having a big name. I don't care about any of that. None of us do, do we? There may have been a time when we first got started 29 years ago where, you know, you know how it is. We're going to have a church and you see big, you know, you see people coming and it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. You know, there's that song from the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. You know, we think everything's going to happen. Some of y'all know about that. If you got grandchildren, you've heard that song. <laughs> Are there certain little motivations in our heart? Some things that, you know, our self-esteem sometimes gets a connected to ministry. You know, if you see a lot of people, then you feel great. And if you don't hardly see anybody, then uh, the sense of letdown or all of that disappointment, and especially when you've got prophecies that have never come to pass. And God has used these trials. He's used these places of being hard pressed, of being perplexed, of being persecuted, of being struck down. He's used it all to bring us to a place where we can be pure, pure in our motivation, pure even in our judgment and assessment of situations, that all we care about now is his will, his purpose, his plan. I want to share this with you, Pastor, Pastor Paul, Mom, Ethan. This is 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, verse 9. I'll stop with this. This is a word that I believe applies to your heart and what you've been doing all of these years. As you're getting ready to roll into year 30. <laughs> Actually, you are in year 30 because you know when you come up on the 30th birthday or the 30th anniversary, you're already in the 30th year. But this has been your heart, sir, in, in and mom, and you have displayed this, you have lived this. It says, this is Paul talking about himself. He said, for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, <laughs> both to the angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. But he says, and he's talking to, to the Corinthian church, but he says, but you are wise in Christ. He said, we are weak but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. He says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. 
Then he says something very precious. He says, for in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Paul lived this way, and he encourages us to imitate him by this. And that's what we've seen in your lives. He says, uh, I'm not saying this to you, Pastor Paul, Mom, Aether. You guys have been willing to be called fools for Christ so that others could be wise. You've been willing to be weak so that others could be strong. You've been willing to be dishonored so that others could be distinguished. You've been willing to be in hunger and thirst and poorly clothed, beaten and homeless. That's a place of identification with those who don't have. You have labored with your own hands, not looking to be served. You've been reviled but you still continue to bless. You guys have been persecuted, but yet you endure. You've been defamed, and that word defamed means to be evil spoken of. <laughs> My God. <laughs> and he said, but yet you entreat. Entreat means that you still are willing uh, to try to talk things out with the people who, who have spoken evil against you. My God. It's, then Paul says uh, that he uses that phrase he, about being made as the filth of the world. And that word, it's a Greek word that says, it's pronounced karthamata. And it means to be willing to pay the price of expiation. Now, I'll tell you a little bit about that. Expiation was something that the Greek culture would do whenever there was an outbreak of a pestilence or some calamity was coming upon uh, coming upon society, they would make these human sacrifices to these gods as an atonement. And the human sacrifices that they would take to do that would be the prisoners because they felt like they were worthless. These are people that are expendable, they're worthless, we don't really need them, so we'll, we'll sacrifice them to stop the the plague and Paul says that he had been made as Carthamata to the world we're expendable <laughs> and that's been you sir ma'am the world thinks of you as being expendable they don't really need you they don't you know, they don't really need your voice, your, your presence here. But he was willing to take it. He didn't fight it. He didn't try to take up for himself. And then the last one he says, you got to be willing to be a father, be a parent, because there's a lot of instructors. One thing that I have noticed in the time that since we have met you guys and been coming here, this is a place of family. It's not just a, a, an, an instructional learning center. <laughs> and I'm not putting down any ministries that set themselves up that way, but Paul said there are, there's 10,000 instructors, but there aren't many places that are fatherly. A place where people are begotten. Begotten, you know, you see that word used in when it was talking about the, the lineage of various people, so-and-so begot so-and-so, then so-and-so begot so-and-so. So here's Paul saying, you were begotten. You were birthed into this. It wasn't a club you joined. It wasn't a membership you came into. No, this was by birth. And you've been willing to be a father, more than an instructor, but a father. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for this man and woman, and I thank you for that in this season and time. Would you join me, dear? In this season and time where there are 10,000 instructors all over this region, all over this state, all over this country, that here is a place where there's a father and a mother in Zion. Here is a place of family and connection.
and relationship. And I thank you, Lord God, that through the years of being hard-pressed and perplexed, of being struck down, that you've caused them to triumph. And I thank you for many sons, many daughters, that will come into this place of covenant and communion and camaraderie. <laughs> thank you for what they, you have shown them. I thank you for their faithfulness that has brought them to this very hour and this moment. And I thank you for the foundation for the new temple, for the new move of God. Yeah, a new foundation. And that the glory of the former is going to be greater than the latter. In Jesus' name. Then I thank you for miracles breaking forth in this place. Even out, yeah, God just said, even not just in this place, but in homes, at work. <laughs> miracles breaking out at the store, spontaneous. <laughs> Miracles breaking out in the field while people are picking. <laughs> people will get filled with the Holy Spirit. I pray for an outbreak of the miraculous revival break forth in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Just like we've had the sudden storms, I thank you, God, for the suddenly. It will seem like the sudden, but it will actually be what God has been building all along. Just like he's told us to work under the radar and in stealth, God says he's been moving for 30 years, setting up the enemy for a major fall. <laughs> in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, bless the Lord, everybody. Thank you, Lord.